Welcome to the podcast of Hope Community Church. Hope exists to be a church where people can experience the transformative power of the gospel in the context of grace-centered community. We strive to be real people looking to the real Jesus for real change that can have redemptive impact among individuals, local communities, our city, and the world. For more information, visit hopecommunity.com. As we begin uh, our series on Hope Overflowing, we're going to take a break from Mark, and we're going to do a sermon series, a topical series on generosity. And uh, it just felt appropriate, if we're going to do a sermon series on generosity, uh, to start where Jesus started. Um, we're going to look together today at Jesus' first sermon in uh, Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 34, where Jesus addresses this issue. So you can look with me if you wish. It's in your bulletin where we read this. Jesus said, Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, There your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. So if the light within you is darkness, how deep is that darkness? No one can serve two masters, since he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? Consider the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they? Can any of you add one moment to his lifespan by worrying? And why do you worry about clothes? Observe how the wild flowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin thread. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was adorned like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown into the furnace tomorrow, won't he do much more for you, you of little faith? So don't worry saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear? For the Gentiles eagerly seek after these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be provided for you. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, uh, we do confess that we worry. Uh, We worry about what we're going to wear. We we probably worried about it today. Uh, We worry about what we're going to eat. We might even be thinking about it right now. Uh, We worry. Uh, Lord, about tomorrow. Um, We are so easily uh, tempted uh, to be afraid. Uh, Thank you, Lord, that you keep telling us that we don't need to be because you never slumber or sleep. 
because you own the cattle on a thousand hills and you have set your affection on us. And so, Lord, as we enter into this generosity initiative, we pray, Lord, that you would help us not to be afraid. Help us not to be anxious. Help us not to be angry or defensive, uh, but instead uh, to listen to you, that we might uh, learn how to trust your heart, even when we can't see your hand. And we pray that in your name. Amen. Well, um, as we begin a sermon series on money, it felt appropriate uh, to begin by talking about anxiety, uh, because that's where uh, Jesus began, and that's where any time a church starts talking about money, our hearts pretty naturally go. Um, But before we do so today, I want to begin by explaining exactly what type of anxiety Jesus is addressing here. Uh, Jen Guzzi did this on Wednesday in our women's Bible study uh, from an article that she found at the Gospel Coalition, and I found that particularly helpful. Um, Jesus is making clear in our passage today that there is a sinful type of anxiety. But before we look at that, we need to understand that there are actually four different things our culture calls anxiety, and only two of those four are sinful. Um, The first thing is we need to understand what anxiety is, right? And what anxiety is, Jesus makes this clear in the passage we just read, it's something that we experience Anytime something we treasure faces the possibility of a future threat, okay? Anxiety is what occurs in us anytime something we treasure faces the possibility of a future threat. Now, the sinfulness or righteousness of that anxiety is determined by why we feel that way. So, It's possible to experience anxiety and it not be sinful at all. Of the four types of anxiety, the first two are this type, and a righteous or normal or healthy level of anxiety. And the first of these is when we actually are facing a threat, okay? Whenever a threat is immediate, God has created your body to respond to that threat by flooding you with adrenaline and firing up your muscles and hyper-focusing your awareness and accelerating your heart rate and your breathing as a way to keep you safe. Holly, my wife, had the sad and traumatic experience as a 13-year-old of being in a car accident that broke her leg. And as a consequence of that, she had to spend several weeks in a rural hospital alone with her leg in traction um, and in pain. And the trauma of that experience has written itself into her body. So whenever we're driving and she's in the passenger seat, if a person in front of us on the highway puts on their brake lights, her body responds to it, right? It floods her with adrenaline, it tenses her up, it accelerates her heart rate, it gets her breathing up. 
And there is nothing sinful about that. That's normal, right? God has created your body to keep a score of trauma and to put it somewhere in your body so that anytime you're in a potentially threatening situation, your body gets ready whether or not the threat is real. Just the possibility of the threat gets the engines going. Nothing sinful about that. The second type of anxiety of which there is nothing sinful, and that is an anxiety that is biological, okay? Some of us, because we live in a broken and fallen world, actually all of us, because we live in a broken, fallen world, have bodies that are breaking down. We have bodies that don't work exactly according to God's divine design for them. Some of us have high cholesterol. Some of us have... um, you know, uh, injuries. Some of us have, uh, you know, a, a tendency to, uh, we, when we eat, we, care, we, we process calories differently, right? There's just, there's just physiological differences about us. And some of us have a clinical anxiety, and that is an anxiety whose roots are biological. Your brain is not processing the neurochemicals of emotion in the way in which is healthiest or best for you. And so, God graciously, through His common grace, gives us the general revelation of medicine, right? Medicine is a good gift of God that He gives to all of His creatures. Because of His great grace, the Spirit of truth reveals to humans over time how bodies work and how to make them work better. And medicine is one of those ways. So, I struggle with seasonal affect disorder, right? From the minute we start daylight savings time in November until we get to the end of that in the spring, I struggle with an ongoing depression. And there's lots of medical gifts that God's given me over time to help me address that. Exercise regularly. Use a sun lamp. Um, wake up when the sun go, comes up, go to bed when it goes down, and from November to February, I take sertraline, right? It is an antidepressant, and it is helpful for me as I process what's going on with me biologically. Nothing sinful about that. That's actually wise. It's what Proverbs calls listening to wisdom as she declares truth to you from the streets. You should receive God's common grace wisdom given to you through um, what he's revealed to humans over time. Now, the third type of anxiety is a result of sin. And this is anxiety that we experience whenever we have sinned and we're afraid we're going to be found out. If you're drinking too much, It's the anxiety you experience when you start hiding your bottles and cans. If you have been looking at things on your phone you shouldn't, it's the anxiety you experience when someone else has your phone in their hand and it's unlocked. If you're having an affair or cooking the books at work, it's the anxiety you experience when you wait for the other shoe to drop. These are all sinful forms of anxiety because they flow out of actual sin. But there's a fourth one, and that's the one that Jesus is focusing our attention on today. 
This form of anxiety occurs whenever we misunderstand the reliability of our Heavenly Father's heart for us. It's the anxiety that arises out of our unbelief. And it's the anxiety that we experience whenever we feel the need, because we don't trust God, to know the unknowable. Like, what is going to happen tomorrow? Or to control the uncontrollable. Like, what kind of choices our kids make as they go to college or drive off on the weekends or graduate from college and start dating people. Or um, the, the drive we have uh, to manage the unmanageable, right? Where we have to provide for ourselves. We have to take care of everything. We have to know everything. We have to do everything. We have to have the strength to carry everything. And boy, is our culture full of this. In fact, in May of 2023, there was a survey that was conducted by the American Psychiatric Association, and they asked this question. How many American adults report feeling more anxious in 2023 than they were in 2022? The number was 37%. For 18 to 24-year-olds, the number was 54%. Now, those have been trending up since 2005. Since 2005, there has been a 63% increase of reported anxiety experiences in the United States. Now, the fact that 37% of Americans felt that way last year is even more striking when you realize that this survey that the American Psychiatric Association did had a global component. Guess how many people around the globe felt that 2023 was more anxious producing for them than 2022? The answer is 4%. 4%. Americans, 38%. Um, that is what scientists call a statistically significant difference. So here's the question I want us to think about. What exactly has happened since 2005 that Americans have become so anxious, particularly young Americans? Well, the answer is in 2007, the iPhone was invented. That technological breakthrough, coupled with improvements in other information-sharing technology, has radically altered what we do with our eyes and what we consider on a daily basis. Here's why I bring this up, because in our passage today, Jesus gives us the cure for that kind of anxiety. Look at verse 19. Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves don't break in and steal, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. If your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. So if the light within you is darkness... How deep is the darkness? 
Jesus is explaining that many of us are experiencing anxiety because of what we are paying attention to. If we focus our lives on that which is earthly, we set up our hearts for anxiety because nothing is safe down here. Our careers are subject to downsizing. Our marriages are subject to adultery or the death of a spouse. Our kids to cultural forces beyond our control. Our bodies to disease and our portfolios to market crashes. So, if experiencing your best life now is the goal of your existence, depression and anxiety is a given. And yet every day, our phones offer it to us. Here's the diet you should be on to have perfect health. Here's the vacation you should take to experience abundant joy. Here's the career you should have pursued to experience abundant wealth. Here's the political cause you should support to experience perfect peace. Here's the house or the car or the clothes you should acquire to experience abundant praise. All you need to get these things is more money. To which Jesus shrewdly responds, verse 24, no one can serve two masters, since either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? And that's the question, isn't it? Is life more than food? Is the body more than clothing or not? See, you and I inhabit a materialistic age who tells us, no, this is all there is. You only live once, so you have to maximize your moment here. And how do you do that? By consuming and by appearing. That's how you get the most out of this earthly life. In some sense, that is the consistent message that is emailed to me every day from Axios here in Charlotte. All right? Every day I get an Axios email. I love it. I open it up, and this is what it says. This is what you should consume this week at this restaurant, at this bar, at this vacation spot. And this is how your life should look with this job and with these friends and these pets in this place. In some sense, all of us are being sold this every day, all the time. And if it doesn't work for you, well, we have another solution. All you need to do is consume something, some vitamin, some diet, some CBD, some Botox, some medicine, so that you can become the best version of you. But Jesus has a better solution than that. He recommends that we change what we're focusing on. Verse 26, consider the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. 
Aren't you worth more than they? Can any of you add one moment to his lifespan by worrying? And why do you worry about clothes? Observe how the wildflowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin thread. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all of his splendor was adorned like one of these. Jesus says, hey man, why don't you put your phone down and walk out the door? The Japanese call this nature bathing. And they've shown that it is a massive anxiety reducer. I love how American poet Wendell Berry describes it in his poem that we put on the front of your bulletin called The Peace of Wild Things. This is what he says. When despair for the world grows in me, and I wake in the night at the least sound in fear of what my life and my children's lives may be, I go and lie down where the wood drake rests in his beauty on the water and the great heron feeds. I come into the peace of wild things who do not tax their lives with forethought of grief. I come into the presence of still water and I feel above me the day-blind stars waiting for their light. For a time I rest in the grace of the world, and am free. You see, Jesus is telling us this because he wants to set us free. He came so that you can be free and not be captive to the evil of the age in which you find yourself born into. He's trying to invite you into something more. And he does so by warning us that this same thing can happen to us if we'll merely stop letting our phones dictate our attention and instead start considering how God, our Heavenly Father, interacts with the creation He has made. Now, when it comes to money, there are basically two kinds of people, and often they're married to one another right? A spender and a saver. Now, savers look to money for safety. Spenders look to money for worth. So, to savers, Jesus says this in verse 26, consider the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they? Can any of you add one moment to his lifespan by worrying? Consider the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them, Jesus said. See, birds don't have savings accounts. Why not? Well, because, as Barry observed, they don't tax their lives with forethought of grief. They don't worry about tomorrow. They live in the moment. If they're hungry, they look for food. If they're thirsty, they look for water. If they're tired, they rest. And what happens when they live one day at a time? Well, your heavenly Father feeds them. That's what happens. He provides for them. He's designed their body to adapt to their environment. Now, to spenders, Jesus says this in verse 28, why do you worry about clothes? 
Observe how the wildflowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin thread. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all of his splendor was adorned like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown into the furnace tomorrow, won't he much more do much more for you, O you of little faith? Now, no one in this room has the capacity to outspend King Solomon. In 1 Kings 10, uh, verses 14 and 15 and 23, we read this. The weight of gold that came to Solomon annually was 25 tons. Besides what came from merchants, traders, merchandise, and all the Arabian kings and the governors of the land. And then in verse 23, King Solomon surpassed all the kings of the world in riches and wisdom. In today's dollars, uh, Solomon's net worth has been estimated to be $2.1 trillion. $2.1 trillion, right? Elon Musk wishes he was him. And yet, Jesus points out that the most beautiful material things humans have ever been able to produce pale in comparison to the natural beauty God clothes his creations with on a daily basis. If you want to see this, go watch the total eclipse that's going to happen in April. Or go on Instagram and do one of these like hummingbird like follows. Like it's unbelievable what these birds look like and how luminescent they are. So how should that affect us? Well, Jesus tells us in verse 31. So don't worry saying, what will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear? For the Gentiles eagerly seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. Well, how do you do that? How do you seek first the kingdom of God? Well, you have to begin uh, by identifying who the king of that kingdom is. And Jesus of Nazareth claimed to be that king. When he was meeting with the Samaritan woman at the well in John 24, I mean, excuse, 4, verse 25, the woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming who is called Christ, and that's the Greek word for king. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And Jesus told her, I, the one speaking to you, am he. And how did Jesus describe his kingdom? Well, in John 18, when being put on trial for his life, Pilate, the Roman governor, took Jesus back into his headquarters and summoned him. And he said to him in John 18, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Are you asking this on your own, or have others told you about me? I'm not a Jew, am I? Pilate replied. Your own nation and the chief priests handed you over to me. What have you done? My kingdom is not of this world, Jesus said. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I wouldn't be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not from here. Which is why Jesus explained to his disciples on the night that he was going to be betrayed in John 14, 
do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you, would I have told you that I am going to prepare a place for you. If I go away and prepare a place for you, I'll come again and take you to myself, so that where I am, you may be also. So how did Jesus do that? Well, he did it by providing a righteousness for us. See, Jesus came and he lived a perfect life so that he had no sin of his own to die for. The wages of sin is death. Jesus didn't owe God his death because he had no sin. And instead, he volunteered to allow our sins to be imputed to him. And he carried them to the cross where he laid his life down as the Lamb of God who came to take away the sin of the world. He substituted himself for us so that he could die in our place for our sins. And then earned the right to give his perfect righteousness to whoever looked to him to save them from their sins. Anybody who looks in faith to Christ and looks at the cross and says, He is not getting what he deserves. He is getting what I deserve. From him, here's the good news that he said to the thief on the cross. Today, you will be with me in paradise. I'm going to take what you deserve so that you can get what I deserve. I'm going to exchange my righteousness for your sin. Paul describes it this way in 2 Corinthians 5, 21. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The moment you understand that the Father sent Jesus, his Son, to do this for you personally, you discover your worth. Paul put it this way in Romans 8, 28-32, We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. For those he foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? How did he? He did not even spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him grant us everything. And that moment, the moment that all of our hearts so desperately long to experience, is going to happen in the future that the Apostle John supernaturally foresaw and described in Revelation 21 when he said, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne, Look, God's dwelling is with humanity, and he will live with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eye. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. Savers, 
There is a day when you will be safe from death. And no one can snatch you out of your Father's hand. Spenders, there is a day when God will cleanse you of all of your unrighteousness and adorn you in the righteousness of Christ. And you will become untemptable and perfect in every imaginable way. And when you believe this, it changes a person. You no longer need to worry about tomorrow. You've seen the end of the story, and you know that for you, it's going to be happily ever after. You no longer need to worry about your safety. No one can snatch you out of the hand of the big-hearted king. You no longer need to worry about the opinions of other people. There's only one opinion that matters, and he's captivated by you. Now, that doesn't mean that bad things won't happen to you. Jesus acknowledges that in verse 34 when he says, Each day will have enough trouble of its own. The birds God provides for do eventually die. The flowers God clothes are eventually thrown into the fire. But we are worth more than they. God thinks that we are worth the shed blood of his sinless son. So we can, verse 33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided for us. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, because tomorrow will worry about itself. Over the course of my life, I've gotten to experience this on several occasions because unlike many of you, I've never had a job where I could turn stones into bread. I have always, for my entire career, had every dollar that has ever entered my bank account come to me because people like yourselves offered it to God first as an act of worship. It's always been a gift. And do you know what God's done with your gifts in my life? He has perfectly provided. We were able to buy our first house in Greensboro because of the generosity of that congregation when Holly and I were first married in our 20s in the mid-90s. We sold that house and we used its proceeds along with gracious donations from the people of that church to get through seminary for free here in Charlotte. When I graduated, the people of Uptown, um, through their mercy ministry, helped us uh, buy the house that we still live in here in Charlotte. They helped us make our first mortgage payment. And uh, when it came time for our kids to go to college, God provided the perfect job for Holly that almost to the dollar paid for their college educations. And he's still doing it which means that I'm not worried about how much money we're going to raise as a church in this Hope Overflowing campaign, because how much ever we raise is going to be exactly the right amount. It's going to be the way that God tells us what He does and what He doesn't want us to do next. I don't have to sweat it. Toward that end, Holly and I are praying about increasing our giving uh, to Hope, rather than giving in to the cultural pressure to put, that our culture puts on uh, people our age after you empty nest to buy a new house or to max out your retirement accounts. Um, and instead, we're really prayerfully considering, Lord, how much more do you want us to give to hope this year? And why would we do that? 
because that's where the action is, right? That's where the action is. Uh, I had the great experience this past week. I'm doing premarital counseling for uh, a couple at South End, and um, he grew up in Greensboro, and I'd never met him before. And he said, oh, yeah, I grew up in Greensboro. Um, I went to Caldwell Academy, and I was like, oh, our friends, the Derringers that helped us plant Friendly Hills, they started that school. And then I went to Western Guilford Young Life, and I was like, oh, you know, Holly and I, uh, we started Western Guilford Young Life. We were the original uh, church staff people that started that. He's like, yeah, and then I went to UNC, and um, I went to uh, UNC RUF. I was like, oh, Hope was part of the money that got uh, UNC RUF up and running. And then, you know, we came here, and um, my friends told me that I should go to South End. Oh, you know, we got to start South End. And it made me so grateful because I realized God is using me to bless people who I've never met and never will meet. But what a joy, right? Like part of the thing that makes heaven heavenly, I think, is this. Right now, God doesn't tell us how he's using us because it would just be conducive to our pride. We are temptable right now. It's too dangerous to let us know all the things he's using us to do. But in heaven, when we can't sin anymore, it's just going to be story after story like this. And you're going to, it's going to be one of those moments where, you know, um, you're going to think, golly, like he did immeasurably more than I could even imagine with these little tiny sacrifices that we made as we sought first his kingdom and his righteousness. And look what he's added to us now. All of these friends and family members who we get to spend eternity with who are so grateful that we did. And he'll do the same for you. So Jesus says this to us today. So don't worry. What will we eat? Or what will we drink? Or what will we wear? The Gentiles eagerly seek all those things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that you know the end from the beginning. And because you do, you are perfectly wise and your timing is perfect. Give us hearts that trust your heart so that we can seek first your kingdom and your righteousness and enjoy how you add all these things to us at just the right time. I pray that in your name. Amen.